He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. I'm joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser? A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their world. So we're going to start this time with James. Getting my ass kicked in grad school, but one thing that helps is knowing that I'm my parents' favorite child. So got that going for like the 33rd year in a row, which is nice. Nice. A great episode to really bring that up. Seems timely. <laughs> Seems very timely. Yeah, I don't think you've ever mentioned that, James. No, no. I, I mean, it's just important for everyone to know. Very intentional. <laughs> Ever since his parents said you should start a podcast, you know, he's wanted to strategically drop these little nuggets in there for them. Yeah. That's good. How about you, Craig? I had a conversation that jarred me, and I've got serious questions about the status of my of, of how far I've come in life. I had a my buddy's girlfriend told me a story where she casually mentioned she met Elon Musk on a helicopter for business. Who do you hang out with, man? <laughs> First of all, I didn't know if I was supposed to be like floored by the helicopter meeting or it was Elon Musk. And I was like, I don't even know where to start with this. And she's like, I haven't told you this before. And I go, no, you definitely have never told me this because I would have remembered that shit. I'm stuck in a life of mediocrity now, realizing that the bar of my friends is so high that I can never have a conversation where she's like, that's pretty cool. To that, I would say picks or it didn't happen. I believe it 100%. She actually listens to every episode. And so the second she hears this, I guarantee I get a text message of like, I don't think you were supposed to tell that story. On the <laughs> oh, no. Elon Musk is going to track her down. She signed a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I told you because you're a friend. Uh, Rigby, you're up. Yeah, life's good. I think this time of year is like my favorite time of year. You got sports in full swing with start of with football, baseball playoffs, NBA starting. It's a really cool time of year, and I just like the weather. So no complaints here on my end. And also, like, now that we're kind of entering in the, the holiday time, this is when, like, usually the best movies come out, too. A lot coming down the pike. With Rigby talking about holidays, it reminded me of last Halloween when I told you guys I was going to give out candy hearts. For Halloween. <laughs> I would egg your house. <laughs> <laughs> so in my world, if you haven't watched Midnight Mass yet on Netflix, you should. I know James is a fan. It's Mike mm -hmm. Mike Flanagan who did the haunting shows, so Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. And I will just say the ending, I know I put it in our group chat, the ending of Midnight Mass is Chef's kiss. But I'm excited to introduce our next guest. My loving sister is here. So Laura is a continuing student of radio, television, and film production. Her passion for cinema prompted her career shift from special education and childcare. Laura joins us from New York, where she is currently the production manager of a documentary called Oppression on Long Island, which has a release date of early 2022. Ow! Ooh. Laura also <laughs> is James's sister and is directly responsible for her brother's love for movies. Absolutely true. Laura defends that she is only partially responsible for the trauma horror movies <laughs> may have caused him as a little kid. Welcome, Laura. I love that Hi, last everyone. Part. Thanks Laura. for having Welcome. me. Welcome. Hi. Yeah. That All is of that one is of my true. favorite topics of this podcast, is the, 
movies James had to watch. Yes. I think my dad, just my mom and dad, like they really gave it a go with kids movies with my sisters. And then after that, like six year gap, they were like, my sisters are teenagers and my parents were just like, I don't know, just watch whatever they're watching. And they're watching like adult movies. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. fucking. <laughs> it's like, I really think I would like to say I paved the way for, <laughs> yeah. for all of my siblings who are younger than I am, because my dad really just, he was like, here, Laura, you want to watch silver bullet? And I'm like six years old and I'm watching <laughs> this horrific werewolf movie at such a young age. And I'm like, sure, James can watch it. I watched it. He can hear. You can totally handle it. Laura, what is this documentary about? Yeah, so this documentary that I'm working on currently, it is, we've interviewed a few historians on Long Island, and some of it has to do with, uh, we did one segment on Camp Siegfried. It's a lot of local Long Island-based, um, there was actually like a KKK clan that, that people don't often know about, but it really, like, was centered on Long Island. We just interviewed a man based on eugenics and mm. learned a lot of different things. And it's been an interesting journey for sure. And I'm looking forward for it to be completed, hopefully by January. We'll have everything up and running and ready to go. So. Damn, that's soon. That's badass. Hopefully. Is that going to be on like PBS or what's it going to air on? So right now we're going to be doing it on streaming platforms, but like... Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yep. So... Um, PBS, possibly. It depends on where we take it. Uh, we definitely want to do like local uh, film festivals and things along that nature. I want to say it's eye-opening, things that I think most people who live where I live are not aware of. Laura, you're like the white whale. We've been we've been looking to get you on here for a while, so I think James is going to take the victory that we've got you here. Hopefully we don't run you out by the time it's done. I'm really happy to be here. I know it's been a long time coming, and I'm really excited to finally get on here. This is great. Let's do it. Thanks for having me, guys. Let's go. Birthdays, October 7th. As we know, Warren's taking a little bit of hiatus from the pod. He'll rejoin us at some point. But in the meantime, Rigby's taken over the birthday segment. First up, we got Simon Cowell of American Idol fame. Everyone knows who this is, I would imagine. Always wears too tight of t-shirts, but that's another thing. How old is Simon Cowell turning on October 7th? Give me, I'm going to say he's older than 65. I'm going to go 68. I'm going to go with 64. Okay. 60. All right. Simon Cowell is turning 62 on October 7th. Everyone shot over. I was 60. So James, James, James. Oh, you were 60? Never mind. James was 60s. All right. Next up, we got Sean Ashmore, Iceman in the X-Men movies from the early 2000s. And he sucked in those movies. He also has a twin, too, which... Oh, there you go. Sorry, we're not mentioning him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say he's like 36. 44. Well, I think his brother's turning 40 on that day, so I'm... (laughs) (laughs) Mm, 39. Sean Ashmore is turning 42. So Craig gets the win there, I believe. Close. I haven't won one since episode 7. (laughs) all right and last up john mellencamp you indiana boys will appreciate him singer of hurt so good jack and diane pink houses just a good old americana rock singer and you didn't mention small town and rain on the scarecrow which were staples of my childhood small town's a great song also just released a new song with springsteen yesterday so go listen to it oh rigby give me 70 yeah that's what i was gonna go with but i'll go with uh 
71. <laughs> nice. Small window case. Good fucking luck. Yeah. 64. 64? You know what, Case? Because she did it to you, I'm going 72. I'm going to... There you go. That's karma. Well, those windows are irrelevant because Craig guessed it on the dot. 70. Oh, oh that a boy. Nice. You got to be faster, Laura. You got to nice be faster job. next time. Oh, I know. Good job, Rigby. Happy birthday. Five actors that we threw onto the wheel. They were Naomi Harris, Susan Sarandon, the podcast and seemed to be an audience favorite on Instagram. Amy McDowell, Tommy Tiny Lister, rest in peace. But it doesn't matter because the wheel has chosen Chloe Grace Moretz, which Laura so kindly decided to join us for. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to the last episode, you'll know James scalding accusation was that Laura's all about the up-and-coming actress, and that's why she chose Chloe Grace. And we'll figure out why she chose her as we dig into this episode here. All right, James, hit us with a little bit of actor trivia. You guys know how this works, but for my sister, I will repeat these rules. So I'm going to read two truths and a lie. Uh, Two of the facts are going to be about Chloe Grace Moretz, and one of the facts is going to be about one of the many stars from the Fast and the Furious franchise. You guys just got to guess which one is that. Cool? Cool. Fact number one is mentioned by name in the rap song Grippin' on Wood by Pimp C. Fact number two. Her family runs a hosiery business that is a primary clothing manufacturer for New Balance, Under Armour, and the iconic Golden Toe Sock. Fact number three. Dated Brazilian soccer legend Neymar. Wow. Holy cow. I really hope number three is right, because that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I didn't know that. They're like the same age. Isn't Neymar like still really young, too? I think that one is the lie, and I'm going to go with Tyrese Gibson for that one. Gibson, Hanna, good guess. I'm going to go with fact three, James, and I think that's podcast favorite, Charlize Theron, and the co-star of Dark Place. Good guess, Craig. Count me in. I think number one is the lie. Kyle, where are you at? I'm fairly confident. Do you guys know Amber Stevens West? Do you remember her? Oh, no one knows. <laughs> She's cheerleader number one in Tokyo Drift, man. And she definitely dated Neymar. Great guesses, everyone. First, I will say that uh, fact number three is true. She actually did date Brazilian soccer st- uh, legend Neymar. What? The stories actually were pretty interesting. In 2016, 19-year-old actress couldn't stop tweeting at him during the World Cup. After the World Cup ended... He tweeted back at her and they met up in, where is this, Paris before hooking up. <laughs> and I was like, what a life to live, yo. That's a great way to do it. Just, hey, I, I think this star is hot. I'll just tweet at him and see if this works out. Boom, works. Shoot your shot. I love that. <laughs> Fact number two, also true. Her family runs a, that hosiery business, is wildly successful. I'm actually wearing golden toe socks right now. The company is called Moretz Hosiery and it was sold in 2011 for just under half a billion dollars. However, she does not see a dime of that because her father is the heir and her parents are going, went through a nasty divorce and she doesn't speak to them. They're estranged. So the rest of her family is completely close and she does not interact with her dad. And he's the guy who's like the heir to all this money. And it's like a ton of drama. When I looked it up, I was like, damn, they're doing their like dirty laundry in the press and stuff. Like that's got to be tough to like be a celebrity while that shit's going on. And fact number one is not true. She's not mentioned in a Pimp C rap song. Uh, but you know who is? I don't play around. Leave that to the children. I'm about to bleed them dry. Leave them red like Helen Mirren. That's a Helen Mirren lyric. Holy shit. Who is the star of the Fate and the Furious Hobbs and Shaw in F9. Helen Mirren. 
there was a lot here for her. Like, you, you know, when you're a young up and coming actress, like it's all about like who you're dating. And I, I forgot that that's like a part of the fame process where I, I was like, uh, you know, interesting things about Chloe Grace Moretz. And it's like every dude she's ever dated. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> that's tough. Yo. Always 46 episodes in still fresh. All right. Box office history from Case. Let's see how her numbers stack up. Because we had we had a bomberoo last time with David Spade, number forty five in the metrics. Let's see where Chloe Grace lines up. You know, there's not a ton to talk about with her box office snapshot. You know, she's been in a ton of projects, but at this point in her career, it's really hard to justify that she's the driving force behind any success or failures in those. But I do suspect that's going to change as she continues to go, especially if we're looking at some of the later projects she's in. Her best performing movies so far in the box office were 500 Days of Summer, If I Stay, and The Addams Family. And I'm sure we'll go into deeper discussion on, on how big of a role she played on all of those. And then in terms of the other side of it, her biggest box office flop would be Tales of the Princess and Dark Places, losing $20 million. And my favorite movie starring Charlize Theron, Dark Places, losing $14.9 million. In our metrics, she comes in 29th for average film budget, 6th in Star Meter, which was a surprise to me. Whoa, I did not see that coming. Yeah. 40th in Critic Rank, 43rd in Fan Rank, which I thought was surprising. Wow. 14th and 28th in two different box office metrics, putting her 25th of 46 overall. Pretty much right in the middle of the pack, which wasn't that big of a surprise at this stage of her career. That sixth is genuinely shocking, though. Uh, totally shocking. Her star meter right now at time of recording is 216. I mean, Adam's Family 2 is coming. Oh, that could be it. So that probably plays a role, too. There's that promo tour going on currently. Just to give you like a frame of reference of how popular she is. Kyle's star meter is 10,180,513. Moving on. But climbing. You're getting close to her, Kyle. You're getting close. All right. Good job, Case. So she's right in the middle in terms of the box office metrics. That's that's interesting to see. It's really interesting. So looking at her career, you know, she's born in 97. She's already got 73 credits on her filmography. That's a lot for someone who's 24 years old. Crazy who spent most of her career as a child actor trying to go to school and do other things that kids do while performing. Got to work way too young. We're going to talk about that and just the bulk volume of what she's done. Like we just, we did David Spade last time who has just about the same amount of credits and he's 50 something probably. <laughs> yeah. Going back a couple episodes, Kyle, at this stage of Dakota Fanning's career, about how many titles did she have? Great question. I don't even think Dakota has 73. I'm guessing she, if I remember correctly, she's around like 50 or 60 total. 67. So my memory did serve me pretty well. Didn't she like take a break for a little bit too? Unlike Chloe? Yeah, between 09 and 2012. Yeah. She was at NYU. She was going to, she was doing college stuff. I remember that. Not near, nowhere near Chloe Grace's output at at this point. Yeah, man, that's really impressive. When I heard we were covering her, I was like, oh, that's cool. I could probably watch like every one of her movies. She's so young. Like, there's no way there's that much. And then, dude, like the moment I looked through, I was like, geez, like I thought I was, I thought I knocked out all of them. I was like, I missed, like not even close. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I thought the same thing for there's, sure. She has a lot streaming too. There's a lot available out there. Even the, the crap, like Winnie the Pooh 
Tigger stuff that I mean, I'm sure it's not crap. It's great for kids, but not really our target market at the end of the day. So, but let's talk a little bit about the early days. So she's born in Hotlanta. She's born in Atlanta. Another Georgia based actor after Dakota, Holly Hunter, also from Georgia. Yep. Yep. Wow. Three straight women we've covered all from Georgia. The wheel has a prejudice, I'm guessing. Okay, that's interesting. Born into a family of Southern Baptists. She moved to New York in 2002 because her brother got into a performing arts school, which is kind of what prompted her to leave. But again, she's five at that point in time when she moved to New York. She's a five-year-old. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Got her acting start in 04 on two episodes of The Guardian. Spent most of her scenes acting with Simon Baker, who she does a lower budget horror film with in 2009. So there's there's a connection there that five years later and then is in a TV movie called Family Plan, which plays a character named Young Charlie in 05. So those are the early things. But the first big role that put her on the map was in 2005's Amityville Horror. We're saying Amityville. You're putting some respect on Amityville because that's exactly on Long Island. All right. That's true. Long Island, New York. <laughs> Long Island. So we're going to cover that as our first feature film. I'm going to cover that because, again, Warren's taking some time off. I'm going to take his review. And in this case, he had first feature. So Amityville Horror. I'll just quick synopsis on Amityville, and then I'm going to open it up to you all. If you've seen it or if you know the story behind it. So in terms of the ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, not well reviewed. It's a 23-52 split. Critics definitely did not like it. And even the crowds are 50-50 on it in terms of audience. So it's not what you would call a beloved uh, remake of this particular film. If you haven't seen it, it's a remake of the 1979 version that features James Brolin and Margot Kidder. This time, it's Ryan Reynolds and Melissa George. Reynolds features his famous sarcasm in brief moments. So if you're a Ryan Reynolds fan and you're like, is he going to be different than he normally is? Not really. A little, but not really. <laughs> not really. He used to still see the same sassy yeah. side of, of Ryan Reynolds in the role. He's absolutely shredded in this movie, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, he is. And the story really revolves around him, mostly as if you know the original and the remake, right? The turn is him turning very violent towards the family. But um, what I thought was really interesting about this movie is some of the off-screen stuff. I know Case loves off-screen stuff. There was a big legal battle to earn the film rights for this story back in 04 and 05 that delayed it for quite a while. Um, so I thought that was interesting. They were kind of trying to f- fight for it on the, in the courts. Um, but basic gist, if you've never seen it, Newlyweds are terrorized by demonic forces after moving into a large house that was once the site of a grisly mass murder a year prior. You know, uh, it's one of those cases of if it sounds too good, it's probably too good to be true. And when they sell a really big house for really cheap. He was skeptical. He's like, I'm a contractor. And he's like, there's, we can't afford this house. Like, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. So and basically, I mean, there's lots of flashback scenes, creepy ghosts, jump scares. There's some occurrences that are hard to explain. A lot of stuff you would expect from this this type of vibe. What I thought was really interesting, because, as James said, Ryan Reynolds being carved and cut and having like a 12-pack, most horror films in the genre, you know, will like male gaze the female character, you know, whether that's a girl that survives or not. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting. They don't do that to the female characters in this. They do that to Ryan Reynolds shirtless in this movie, which I thought was like a, a good turn on the gender tropes. I liked it. Kyle, it was like a- you are correct. I watched the movie and what I said to myself out loud was like, dude, this is like gratuitous shots of his body. Like, yeah. I don't need to see this. And you are correct. In horror movies, it's usually the other way around. 
Usually the male gaze is on the female character. In this case, they're like, no, yeah. get a shot of that guy. And they're like pan. They're doing ups and oh, downs and left and right. Look at all of his abs. Just yep. look at them. So I thought that was interesting, despite it having no relevance to the story whatsoever. But I was like, they've been doing this yeah. for a year. Don't you know that his abs scare the ghosts away, Kyle? They're irrelevant. <laughs> I, it, it didn't work. They stuck around. Didn't really scare too much. And apparently... During the filming, the cast and crew complained about very odd occurrences throughout filming. A fisherman washed up dead on the shore just before shooting began. (laughs) And 3.15 a.m. plays a very special significance in the movie, if you've never seen it. And apparently the crew would wake up randomly at 3.15 a.m. It was just sounds like a set that I never would want to work on. Um, But it technically was, outside of that TV movie, her film debut for Chloe Grace Moretz. And I will say she plays one of the three kids in the movie, the young daughter, Chelsea, and she earned a young artist award nom for her role. She did all of her own stunts. When you ask what kind of stunts, Kyle stunts, like climbing on a really, really steep roof on the top by herself without wires and things like, yeah, my dad's a roofer. I've been on roofs my whole life. I get scared shitless when I get on even semi steep roofs. Very dangerous. Yeah, like this girl's seven and is just doing all of her own stunts. You can tell early on she's got a maturity that most child actors don't have. I agree. The way she's able to command the screen. I mean, it's not a huge role. It's an emotional beat role for the story. Um, but it's the first of many horror roles for Chloe Grace. She does a ton of horror. Yep. Yeah. Like we're almost on. We have our Halloween episode coming up. But this is like a, a, a nice prelude to it. Yeah. With a little little appetizer because she's in a lot of horror stuff. I think this movie is an example of sort of the start of what they've tried to do in the 2000s is remake a lot of these horror movies from the 70s and 80s, successful ones. And you'll see it with Carrie later in her career, actually. They just don't really work. Yeah. Whether it's the style or whether it's like the plot or just like just people are just used to you know like these classic horror movies like nightmare on elm street friday 13th every one they've tried to remake in the 2000s has just kind of been bad i can't really think of one honestly that comes to mind that's like a good remake a horror movie i have i thought the scene where with her on the roof was awesome i thought it was one of the like only scenes in the movie where i felt like the tension build to that level where it wasn't asking so much of Ryan Reynolds' personality and all like the visual effects. It was the first scene in the movie where I was like, oh, that is actually scary because that's a, that's a little kid up on that roof. Like that's nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. This being her first feature film, coming out of the gate like that and having it recognized, I feel really speaks to her as an actor, as an actress at such a young age, like to be able to do that. Cause I know it's so rare for child actors to be able to have any kind of range and for her to be recognized then really, I think really started like her career and started uh, to get her recognized after that. I mean, she was what, eight when this came out? Seven. Seven. Filmed at six. What was I doing at seven? Like playing Pokemon in the fucking recess schoolyard barely that you're barely like, able to unzip your pants right yeah exactly age. <laughs> that's you know and we kind of we kind of lose that i feel like we take that for granted like how hard that is to be thrown into this world mm-hmm. as a fucking seven-year-old so that's there's big ups for her on that for sure definitely one of the facts i heard about this movie was when it came out uh it premiered she wasn't allowed to see it because she was too young <laughs> because she's seven you know, give her nightmares. What's interesting, too, is originally when I first wrote the show notes, Kick-Ass was what we were going to treat as her first feature film. And then I watched Amityville Horror and I was like, her role's meaty enough that yeah, this counts. Like, this will qualify early on. Definitely. 
Pretty cool. Pretty cool start for her early on coming out the gate. Next couple of years, 05, same year, she did an episode of My Name is Earl. And then a year later, she was in Big Mama's House 2, played Carrie in kind of a, a fun role alongside Martin Lawrence in that one. Was this a prequel role to her character Carrie later? <laughs> you know, I didn't do the research on that one. Good call, Craig. It takes a turn. It takes a nasty turn, yeah. <laughs> but then 06, she's in another horror film, a child zombie film called Wicked Little Things. She plays Emma. Couple movies out of the gate. She's doing more TV. She's in a couple episodes of Desperate Housewives, huge show at the time, massive in the, in the mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. She's in Dirty Sexy Money as Kiki. Couple episodes of that, seven to be exact. She's in a movie with James's favorite actress Jessica Alba called The Eye. Does anybody remember The Eye? I do, but not her in this. She plays a cancer patient. It's very limited. Jessica Alba just. P- Showcasing those acting skills. Yeah, the reason yeah. Kyle says that is because she sucks. She's a terrible <laughs> actress. <laughs> it's a really interesting premise. I like the premise where like she's blind and she gets an eye transplant, but then she starts seeing ghosts and weird shit, and so she's tracking down where the eye, like who had the eye, what's the story. It's just poorly executed. Like it could be a cool horror film, yeah. right? But it's it's pretty bad. Uh, but what it isn't bad, she plays young Penny and. 2008's Bolt, which is a fun little animated film. Her role's pretty small in that, Mm -hmm. but the film's pretty good. I liked Bolt. And if we had more time, I'd love to talk about Bolt, but she's not a big enough role in it. I think it's worth it. But she does play a big role in 500 Days of Summer as Rachel, JGL's sister slash therapist. Yeah, very mature for that character, like, is specific. She's, like, the one who his friends call for his, like, mental health checks. And... How old is she when this is being filmed? Like She's 11 at the time, I guess, right? 11, right? And so I watched it for the first time for this podcast because I've heard so many things about it and I've never seen it before. And it is a really unique twist on kind of like a romantic comedy, which I appreciated. And I like the way that they film it in, like you see the mental health of JGL's like uh, entire experience from start to finish where you're like, Am I on his side? Is he nuts? Is he too far into this? Is she a bitch? Like, I, I felt like it, they did a really good job with that. For a long time, people viewed Zoe Deschanel as the villain of the story. And I think over time it's flipped and that it's become about this like male entitlement story where he Definitely. feels entitled to her affection. Yeah. And he's the villain now. Same thing that happened with The Graduate when that yep. came out. It's like the same. It's a great point, Kyle. You watch this and you're like, dude, like, he, you're being strange Creepy. towards yeah, her, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're being strange. And we talked about that a little bit with William Hurt's character in Broadcast News, too. Right? Yeah. Yep. Like, feeling entitled to Holly Hunter's affection. Basically every uh, William Hurt movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for William States. Hurt in real life. Yeah. Yep. The line that killed me in this movie, and I put it in the show notes, is the PMS line where he asks her, like, what do you know about P- PMS? And as an 11-year-old, she stops pauses looks at him cocks right to the side and goes more than you yeah, and i thought true. like that delivery for an 11 year old i was like man this girl's talented that's excellent because i thought that was a good burn when he said that he's like oh you're pms he's like what do you know about that and i was like oh she roasted him that was nice more than you i'm like oh fuck and this isn't the first time where uh, we talk about her and periods we'll get to that that's coming um <laughs> that's coming can't wait to um, talk about it right well, let's get into her, what I would consider her biggest role, and that's her role as Hit Girl and Kick-Ass in 2010. 
rewatching it, you realize how violent her character is. Like it's brutally violent on purpose. And I think the joke still lands. I think her playing off Nicolas Cage is really funny. I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I, I did watch YouTube clips of her of her scenes in this. And I will say she's her martial arts is fucking awesome. Yeah, dude, pretty good. She was, she was trained by Jackie Chan. That's why. Literally. Oh, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Like she's got some pretty dynamic emotional range in that story because she goes through some significant heartbreak, her character. And she's what fifteen at this point? No, Uh no, dude. This came no. out in twenty ten. She's twelve. Yeah, twelve. Wow. Yeah, I remember just reading about like how the audience originally had like a problem with with seeing a, a child so young saying and doing the things like the violence that's in that movie and saying some of the lines that are in that movie. But really, I feel like that makes her character so amazing in in Kick Ass. 100%. Is uh, you don't expect to see this or to hear these things come from her, and they do. And it really just, I think it definitely transcends the movie to another level. The scene where she he, he asks her what she wants for her birthday, and she says a puppy. Dude, it's so good. And because I'm literally like, just going to say that. She says, What? I want a puppy. And he has like a nerve. He's like, is <laughs> so thrown back by it because he doesn't know how to react. I love that scene. I was fucking 100% just going to say that. Laura was reading our minds because I was like, that's a perfect example of the movie. Yeah. You're like, she has a moment where she's a kid. And then she's like, no, I just want one of these. Um, what are those yeah. knives called? I want that butterfly <laughs> knife. Yeah. yeah, just give me a butter. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. going to get you two, honey. I'll get yeah, you two. Like, oh, good. I'll get you two. A dog. You're a rascal. You're to be rascal. like a legitimate action lead in a violent movie like this at 12 years old is bananas. It's yeah. wild. And opposite of Nick Cage. That's even more impressive. Because imagine how much pressure that would put on a young actor to be opposite of one of the biggest stars in movies. That's crazy. So it's 2010. And again, like most months and shows, we don't mention everything. And so by this point, there's probably another, I'm going to say at least 10 to 12 other projects she's done in those six years from 04 to 2010. Very, very busy to the point where she got the label. I forget which magazine it was, but it said she is the busiest actress in Hollywood at 12 years old. She's considered the busiest. She's at she's in middle school. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> at what point are you? I'm just thinking of this from like the parenting perspective. Are you just like, yeah, like, is this a bad thing? Like, is this something to brag about at 12? You know, like. Oh, I haven't seen my daughter in six years. She's in Spain filming a movie. You know, it's like, I'm not. They're like, I'm weird. Should I be worried? And then they're like, oh, money. No, yeah, I'm good. Exactly, exactly. They don't need the money, man. They're fucking rich. Well, it sucks because it sounds like she made all the money. So a couple roles right after she got labeled busiest actress in Hollywood. She was Angie in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. It was a pretty big movie. She plays a pretty primary role in that. And then her second IMDb credit, a movie that James came over to my place to watch together. Old school bro date. That's right. We had a bro date to watch Let Me In, where she plays Abby, a child vampire. And it is it's a pretty decent little flick. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I love that movie. Yeah. I do. I love her in that movie, too. A remake of a Swedish film. Yeah. I saw the original as well, and I just love it. You know, it's an interesting character arc where... I don't want to spoil anything for people because I think people should go watch it. I agree. Richard Jenkins plays the father and you learn more about that story as it goes along. Just know it's, it's a pretty dark tale. I mean, any movies about vampires yeah. are going to be dark, but 
Uh, it's Cody Cody Smith McPhee. That's right, Cody Smith McPhee. And they have a nice chemistry, the two of them. And no, they actually do. I mean, that's the huge plot point of the movie. Without spoiling it, I'll say it's a it's a vampire love story that is absolutely a horror movie movie the entire time. This was the first movie I saw her in where she really stuck out to me. Like I uh, remember seeing this back when it was released and thinking, wow, Mm -hmm. like this was like, I can't wait to see what else she does. So this was one of the movies that really resonated with me when I, when I saw her in it, you know, again, coming from like Amityville horror and doing this, I, I appreciate when, when that can be done, you know, when it, when an actress can, can do these, these darker movies. Totally agree. She is so like, she's creepy in it and Mm -hmm. she's unsettling and, you know, it's this like pretty little girl, but at no point do you feel that way. Like because of how she plays the character, you watch it and you're like, oh man, she makes, she makes me uncomfortable. This boy should go get away from her. And it's really well done. So to, to your point, thank, let's be thankful for let me in. Cause that's what brought Laura to us to do Chloe Grace. That's true. Without this, I don't think it would have happened. So that's cool. To Laura's other point about standing out a movie that I don't think she stood out at all is Texas Killing Fields, because we I watched this for the Jessica Chastain episode, and I thought it was an okay movie with Chastain, Sam Worthington, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, but I had no clue she played the young girl in that. So it's it's a role, but it's kind of a nothing role at the end of the day. She's not asked to do much. I had totally forgotten who she was in that. Who the hell is picking her roles at this point? Because there is not... There's two... No consistency. Anymore. I mean, yeah, there's consistency. There's dark and, like... Harry movies. Yeah, we didn't even mention Room 6, Hollowed Ground, like very cheap, yeah, lower yeah. budget horror films that are built in there too. Meanwhile, she's also doing like Winnie the Pooh. And- <laughs> yeah, so she's doing a range of projects, including our lowest critic score, which the way this works for our guest Munson's, they will take generally whatever review I have. And in this case, I had lowest critic score. So every five episodes, one of our guests gets the shit end of the stick and has to take lowest critic score. And it just so happened that was Laura this time with the movie Hick from 2011. So Laura, tell us a little bit. Hazed my sister. Yeah. Yeah, Welcome to the pod. (laughs) Thanks guys. This is a, this is such a gem to, to watch. Hick was directed by Derek Martini and it was also adapted by a novel. So it was a novel first. The The novel itself did pretty well, but Hick delivers like a coming of age story of a 13 year old girl named Luli, who that's who Chloe Grace plays. So she's from this like rural South town and she comes from an abusive family and they're neglectful. And for her 13th birthday, they take her to a bar and her uncle gives her a gun. And this like horrible scene plays out where she just ultimately wants to like run away from her life and escape um, her neglectful parents. So she decided who, I must say, her mom is Juliette Lewis, which Juliette Lewis. Uh, was awesome to see. You know, I love Juliette Lewis. And she wants to run away to Las Vegas and kind of hits the road and starts hitchhiking. And along the way, she meets like one deplorable character after another. It's just like this rotating door of what awkward and uncomfortable situation is this young girl going to get into now and (laughs) ultimately this just sets the stage for uh really gritty and uncomfortable situations that 
I don't know. It's like this dark theme that runs throughout the entire film of this girl's loss of innocence. And it was probably easier to stomach throughout the novel. But really, I don't think translates well at all to the screen because it just, in my experience, left me uncomfortable. And I didn't, I also felt like the storyline was hard to follow. It was pretty muddled. But where I did feel that Despite the film's muddled storyline, I feel its weight really benefited from its like star power from its cast. And it really had some fascinating performances like Eddie Redmayne, who I absolutely love, and Blake Lively. I thought her character was great. She did a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful job. I thought all three of the main characters were good and I didn't like this movie at all. <laughs> and I was like, the three actors, they did good. Like all three of the main actors were good. And I was like, I can't, I still don't like this movie though. Chloe Grace did a great job. Like I felt like given what the story was and it was and as difficult as it was, like she had enough charisma and to keep me engaged and her co-stars did as well. Like Alec Baldwin and it mm-hmm. was, I was just Ray, Ray McKinnon, isn't it? Yes, Ray, Ray McKinnon and a good Rory actor. Culkin. Yep. Rory Culkin was in it. That's who that was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was an age appropriate casting. I mean, they casted the right actors for the right age group for the story they're trying to tell. Here's a question for you, Laura. Did it earn its 5% on Rotten Tomatoes for lowest critic? Yes. Where would you score it? 5%? Yeah. Give it a 5? Um, you know, I feel like that might be a little harsh, honestly. Yeah, I do too. I agree. <laughs> I give it like a 3, 30. Yeah, I would say definitely in the 30s, but only because of its cast and the performances by those actors. Yep. Otherwise, it, yeah, I would give it in the 30 range for sure. Or low 30s. It's not as uncomfortable as watching Jessica Chastain in the movie Jolene, which yeah. James we we talked about at nauseum. That's another movie that's a book. It's yep. it's a movie that's yeah. a book about a girl road trip and troubles on the road, and it's just like, dude, this is I don't want to watch this. Like I don't want. That's the 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 downside of her career in terms of lowest critic score. Let's gear it all the way back up to highest critic score for James's review, and that is 2012's Hugo. My big complaint is the last time I got highest critic score, I also believe I had a kid's movie, which is like, it's okay. You know, it's a good kid's movie. It's just like, that's not what you're looking for when you get the highest critic score. You're like, I want to learn about a movie that's like, everyone says it's a life-changing experience. And then I get a kid's movie. I was like, yeah, it's good. It's like, it's just not for me. But (laughs) this movie is beautifully shot. And it's like a family fantasy movie. And near the end of it becomes like a ode to cinema for Martin Scorsese. So the plot of it is Hugo's an orphan who works at a, uh, works on clocks and is trying to survive while hiding in a, a train station in England. And he is an orphan. And so he, the entire time he's actually running from Sasha Baron Cohen, who is like a railway inspector. I don't know if that's a real job. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen is, I think he's hysterical and him in a kid's movie is great. He plays off this little kid really well. He's really good at that, like kind of like mean teacher kind of role, but it's in 1930s Paris. My apologies. And during this time, he gets kind of tangled into a mystery involving this thing that his dad left him called him an uh, automaton, which kind of looks like a robot. I didn't know what an automaton was. So I was like, do they just make up a word for robot? And then when they explained what it is, I was like, Oh, okay. So it's kind of like the, the things at Chuck E. Cheese that like, play the guitar, but it's not actually a real thing playing a guitar. It's like, oh, all right, cool. I got what that is. 
And he believes that his dead father put a secret in there. He needs to fix this thing and figure out what this thing does. And it's going to give him a message. And he ends up fixing it. And it does give him a message. And he goes on this journey. And he ends up meeting a retired movie director played by Ben Kingsley and his adventure-seeking goddaughter who's played by our girl Chloe. I thought it was beautifully filmed and it's like shockingly innocent for a kid's movie. Like normally with a kid's movie, they'll give like a wink nod to the parents with some adult humor and like adult situations. And that's not the case with this. This is just like a good family friendly movie, very much for little kids. And so for that much, I felt like a, a little bit of it was lost on me, but it has a lot of heart and I thought she was great. And I, I don't think the role asked a lot of her. I think she just had to be the whimsical sidekick and, and you know, go on this awe-inspiring adventure. But the movie itself was well done. And the, the end of it is, it feels like it's Martin Scorsese, like giving you what he imagines his dream world to be as a kid. Cause it is just talks nonstop about movies. It reminded me a lot when I first saw it of Cin- cinema Paradiso in yep. terms of just it's ode yep. to film. I, I love Hugo. I, I think it's an amazing movie. Hugo is. Yeah, I, I do too. It's, it's a, it's a magical movie for, for which, you know, me, I'm, I'm kind of like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino when it comes to kids' movies. I just I have no, <laughs> I just have no desire to ever see them. But I remember seeing this actually the year it came out in 2011, and yeah, I mean it's awesome. And Chloe Grace is fantastic in this. Just a really good, really good, endearing movie for sure. Yeah, this movie is absolutely beautiful. It's one of my my fra- favorite of hers, definitely. And in general, the movie is absolutely stunning. It won a bunch of Academy mm-hmm. Awards. It really did. It would won five Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. It lost to a fucking silent movie, unfortunately. How ironic. <laughs> Which is ironic because it is about the silent <laughs> film creator, George yep. Melies, which yep. uh, which I always found really fascinating because I had to study him in school. So mm-hmm. actually I had to study Hugo, the movie in school, because of George Melies in it. And I just uh, really enjoyed it. it it's, a, it's a beautifully done, beautifully written, and really just cinematically stunning just shows how brilliant scorsese is how he can go from you know violent mob pictures to i think the movie before this that he made was was uh, shutter island like to go to that from that to hugo like just shows how talented the guy is for sure i was shocked when i saw directed by martin scorsese when i turned the movie on i was like what <laughs> I was like what is happening all right uh, we don't have another review for another eight years, so this is like the big chunk. We're going to round out the episode with reviews. So the first one, 2012, Dark Shadows. She plays Carolyn, a rebellious teenager in a movie with Johnny Depp playing a very Johnny Depp character. And I don't know about you guys, but I really liked her like dark teenager role. She's a werewolf. Her demeanor, the character's demeanor, is being very mysterious and very disconnected from people. It's like a hippie kind of vibe. I, I thought it was pretty memorable. I don't know if it's a great movie. I'm just ready to talk about Movie 43. I don't know about you. So we talked about Movie 43 at least once with Chris Pratt. There was probably somebody a, else. Too. Yeah, there has to be somebody else. But widely considered one of the worst, worst movies we've covered on the podcast. I think we can all agree on that one. I haven't watched it for this exact reason because everyone <laughs> just says it sucks so many times. Warren and I bit the bullet on that last time. But have you seen her segment no. of Movie 43 with, with McLovin in it? So <laughs> the concept is she's hanging out with another kid her age and then she gets up and there's blood on the couch, but the kid thinks it's like Kool-Aid. And so he's freaking out 
and she's freaking out now because she's having her period. And then the dad, who is played by Patrick Warburton, I think it is, plays yeah. the dad. David Putty. Yeah. Seinfeld. Yep. <laughs> he comes in, he makes the situation much worse, and it's just a segment about her getting her period, at, her first period at a very young age in a very That's awkward okay. situation. When you made that reference earlier, I was like, what the fuck? What is he talking about? It's because I haven't seen this movie. Okay. Well, this isn't the only time. I watched an interview with her, and she talked yeah. about how she was working with the director, female director, about like the whole period scene, and all these men were trying to tell them what to do. And they were both like, you just need to shut up. Like, <laughs> we think we know more about the period situation than you, so we're going to write that scene. Good for her. Sorry. Do we have any 30 Rock fans on the podcast? Of course. Want to talk about her? character her like rivalry with alec baldwin in the show from what i remember she is like the heir apparent to like the rival network of of nbc if i'm not like cable town i think is what it's called any name for a rival tv station cable town cable town <laughs> this like well-esteemed like you know alec baldwin's like this really established like you know multi-millionaire ceo and he's like basically getting he plays like a cat and mouse game with with Chloe Grace, who's like 15 in the show. So it's kind of funny. So 30 Rock fans will recognize her from her three episodes over uh, 2011 to 2013. And then Kick-Ass 2, the sequel, comes out in 2013. Definitely, you know, with Nicolas Cage out of the picture, it's really all about her and her arc as a teenager and like trying to be a normal girl. And so that's an interesting change of pace for her character from, you know, finally like going to school and being around girls who are bullies and do you kill them or not? Right? Like what well, you've got a particular set of skills. How do you handle those situations? I unfortunately d- did not get around to this movie. Yeah, I didn't rewatch it, but it's solid. Jim Carrey makes an appearance in this one as a uh spoiler. As a superhero. Yeah. Eight eight years later, I think we can do that. <laughs> an appearance on American Dad in twenty thirteen and then the movie that we just talked about a little bit ago and that Rigby had mentioned earlier is maybe not a great adaptation is her role as Carrie in Carrie. Couldn't have a bigger role though. I mean, a more important role in that movie. Yeah. No kidding. Title. The first one's so just creepy and good that it's really hard to follow up with something like this. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one's iconic. Yeah. So, I mean, I get why they would remake it. Same year. She did a first of a couple documentaries. She narrated segment in girl rising and then technically her highest critic score is The Tale of the Princess Kagaya. It's a beautiful film. I I love anime and the way they deliver this is just very different. It's more like brush strokes mm-hmm. instead of your typical mm-hmm. animated film. And it's very different take. And I read it took like eight, six to eight years to complete this film. She did a great job. Her voice, the voiceover work she does, I know why she's chosen. She really has a beautiful, clear, crisp voice. And when you hear her, you can recognize her. Mm -hmm. It was, it was beautiful. And she's definitely like her voice is recognizable in it. She does a nice job there for sure. That's good to hear. It is highest critic score technically. Um, 2014, she crossed over with Sam Rockwell in Laggies, an indie film that's pretty solid. Um, Works alongside Rockwell and Kira Knightley in that one. So it's a good one to check out if you haven't yet. And then she was named by Time Magazine as one of 25 most influential teens, just to give an idea of kind of what her pop culture impact was in 2014 at the age of 17. What a step down from being the busiest actress in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Only one of 25 this time. And then she does some off-Broadway work in 2014 as well. She's in stars in the library. 
in a starring role, which was a Soderbergh-directed production, which is pretty cool. So working with pretty legendary director from that yeah. standpoint. Makes a quick appearance in Muppets Most Wanted as the newspaper girl, a movie we've mentioned a few times with other actors. And then is in a movie that I I haven't seen, but I've heard it's really good. And I think it's her only one that's on the Criterion channel, and that's Clouds of Sills Maria. She plays Joanne Ellis. Um, but has anybody seen If I Stay from 2014? It's like her number four IMDb credit. If not, it's okay. It's about a girl who dies and then like watches herself after she died and has to decide if she wants to live in this state of limbo or come back to the earthly realm is based on my understanding of it. I bet she was good at it. Yeah, the movie doesn't have great ratings, but it sounds like she did a decent job. Not a good enough, I guess, to yeah. carry it to a, hot, a, a meta score in the green. Made a lot of money. So on top of doing a play in 2014 and having five movies, she was also in The Equalizer as Terry. She played a prostitute, which she called not a plot device. And working off an iconic leading actor. Denzel. 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 You've got Nick Cage. You've got Julianne Moore. Mm-hmm. Sam Rock. I mean, she's, she's starting to rack up great co-stars. Mm-hmm. The role is actually pretty important because it shows this well-rounded humanitarian that Denzel Washington's character is. You're kind of surprised at the kindness that he has towards everybody. It's, mm-hmm. it's it helps a lot in the in the story. I love it. It's a great remake mm-hmm. from uh, from the 80s. So it's I love that movie. Her number three IMDb credit is The Fifth Wave. She plays Cassie, like a zombie film kind of. She plays a lead role in that one, too. It's a pretty subpar movie there. She's she's definitely the biggest star power in that one at that point yeah. uh, in 2016. But 2016, her career starts to slow down a little bit. She's she intentionally she's what, 18 at this point. She's intentionally like, all right, I got to slow down. I'm working like crazy. She dropped from the Little Mermaid live action yes. movie. She was cast in that, which is an interesting choice. It still hasn't been made, right? It's in production now. But Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. She plays Shelby. I know you mentioned this last time, Rigby. Yeah, it's hilarious. And she's a perfect you know, foil for Seth Rogen in this. Mm-hmm. Not as not as funny as the first one, but still funny. Yeah, I thought it was still good, though. Yeah, it's funny, for sure. And Zac Efron's character is a little different in this, but it's still a still a good comedy, for sure. Again, I'm glad they, they hired a 19-year-old to play a college student and not hired the 29-year-old, which you see all the oh, time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. She was definitely believable as, like, the overachieving, like, conniving sorority girl who wanted to, like... Prove a point, you know, like I, I think they casted her well in this. I saw an interview where she she was like one of the biggest things for moving from a child actor to an adult actor was just project choice. And she's like neighbors, while it wasn't like the meatiest role in the world, it was an adult human. And she was happy to play <laughs> yeah. not a child in a movie. Uh, so, yeah, I think marked this like goalpost checkpoint for her in her career, which I'm a 19 year old playing a 19 year old. It's not good for me. Yeah, it's nice. nice. To grow I, up. I can start to do some different stuff, um, yeah. you know, because I've been acting my whole life at this point. Same year, though, she's in Brain on Fire as Susanna, a movie that was originally going to be Dakota Fanning, which I think is interesting since we covered Dakota. Uh Uh, Rivalry? I don't know. It have been fascinating to compare and contrast on that one, but she's pretty good. There's a lot of physical work she has to do in Brain on Fire. Again, the movie's not that great. It's on Netflix. It has terrible ratings, but it's a true story about a girl who's dealing with a, a, a rare disease of her brain. And so she has to show that she's like slowly losing her mind scene after scene. Sounds like a tough role. It was. 
Yeah. It sounds like they they like that must have taken a lot from her to bring across. So like it, and it's it's a slow draw out until the point where she's mm-hmm. literally screaming at her coworkers. Her um, boss is played by Tyler Perry in the movie. <laughs> so, and he does a pretty good job. How do you think she did in this role, Kyle? He does well. The movie is just, I don't think, does the, the true story justice, unfortunately. Okay. And if you read the reviews, it's not great. She's perfectly fine in it. I think she does. She's fine. I just don't think the story was told well. The typical. We talked about this a million times on this podcast, though. Mm-hmm. But a, a, a movie I think she did that was much better, that, again, she's really good in, is 2018's The Miseducation of Cameron Post, a story about, you know, conversion therapy. Yeah, it's it's like it's one of those stories that it still goes on today and it's just so odd that there's less that is like done to try to stop it, but I guess because it's like a religious belief, you can technically just, you know, if you want to partake in this, you can and it just sucks because it really fucks people up, but she plays like a mm-hmm. teenage girl who's very clearly a lesbian and she gets caught and sent to a conversion therapy camp and it's just like a tough life over there because of people trying to be convinced that like they're not who they are and i think she did a really good job portraying kind of that experience and being disconnected from it and the hardships that go with it so and especially playing off like relative unknowns with her the other cast i thought the other teenagers did a good job as well it's a good movie and it's i like that it's set in the early nineties because Mm. that is probably the time that these kind of things were thriving. And that story is probably a harsher story to tell then because it was just so socially acceptable for conversion therapy camps to be a thing. But like watching it again today, you're like, God, that sucks. And they did such a good job portraying how, how some teenagers would buy into that experience and they'd be like, yeah, I can't wait for this to work. And other teenagers are like, wow, this is like soul crushing me because I know it won't. And uh, I thought it, I thought it was well done. Is she the lead in this movie? Yes. Yeah. So now we're really starting to see a shift in her career, aren't we? Where she's mm-hmm. becoming the lead. Absolutely. In, in the lead and picking very specific roles that are not, that have some meaning to it. But that same year she's in, this changes everything. Yeah. Big appearances in this Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. Natalie Portman, Mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon, I think, is in it. So, again, we talk. I mean, it's it's documentary, so it's a little different. Yep. Not so much acting with people, but just being associated with that group is is saying something about her career for sure. And she talks pretty openly in that one. She's not in a ton of it, but it does tell her story in that one. Um, so that's good, right? Like you could just not do that, and no one would notice. But we we notice it, and it gets you some bonus points when you do that kind of stuff because it's clear those types of things she cares about. And you've also got to be big enough to be in it. Yeah, you you got to have a profile. Yeah, got to be relevant enough to be in that project. They didn't have the Fast and the Furious girl. You always you always make jokes. <laughs> yeah, about. The, the Fast and the Furious side. They didn't Hot Girl too from Fast <laughs> yeah. and Furious the first one. And that's incredibly impressive. And she's mm-hmm. how old at this point? Early twenties. Uh, nineteen. No, she's yeah. born ninety seven, so twenty one. Yeah, that's that's really impressive. She's still in her early twenties. The average <laughs> age of every other day. actress in that is probably 45 yeah like 40 yeah. and she's 21 you know what i mean it's really impressive that she definitely was on that panel and you know i know that she is definitely like um an advocate and a feminist and likes to be outspoken even for her i'm sure that was like a that had to have been an incredible experience to be a part of that mm-hmm. this was right around the time i think she was like can't she went and like supported hillary clinton too i believe yeah she was yeah. a big surrogate 
Absolutely. Yeah, well, it would have been this would have been two years before that because this was 2018, right? Right. Yeah, she did go to the Democratic convention, though. It was probably right before it because again, this probably filmed 2017. It came out in 2018. Yeah. So 2018, she's in Suspiria. She plays a character named Patricia, speaking some German. Any thoughts? Oh, loved it. Yeah, the movie fucked me up. It's it's like. <laughs> You should see the original, dude. The original is even more fucked up. This is good. Tilda Swinton in this is really creepy and good, but... Yeah. She's phenomenal in pretty much everything. I, I would recommend the Italian version for sure. Rigby, is, that an, is it an iconic horror film? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Italy it is. It's from the 70s. I think it's from like 77. It's about witches, Case. It's about witches. Yeah. So this is the third iconic horror film remake she's been a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. I really enjoyed this horror movie. I love Dakota... Um, Johnson. Johnson is in it. I, I love Tilda Swinson, and I really, I haven't seen the original, but I also do love Luca, who directed it, and he does such a good job at, you know, combining those eerie shots mm-hmm. that I totally love seeing, and combining that with the, you know, with the music, and it, he really delivers it. It's like a slow burn. Her role in this is is kind of is minor, even though the whole movie is about her. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, really interesting. Yeah. It was one on my list that I was glad to knock out. It gave me a reason to finally watch it. So I'm with y'all 100%. Yeah. But another horror movie, back to back. She's in Greta, plays Francis alongside Isabel Huber. Yeah, her her character's obnoxious in this movie. But um, she's good. I think she's, she's good. But, mm-hmm. but Isabel Huber is so good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being enthralled by both their performances. And. Yep. And I can't remember why you don't like it, just because it, you you. He just makes all of the her character. It's her character. With the worst decisions. Yeah, she correct. makes all of the most bonehead decisions at the end, involving like right. the the box she, she gets locked into in the room. And I'm just watching. I'm like, oh my god, you like it, it's just like years and years of building up of act like actresses and horror films making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Don't. But what's funny is she went on the junket, the press junket. And she was really self-deprecating about it because they're like, you know, what did we learn from this movie? And she's like, yeah, just don't help your neighbors. Don't help out women <laughs> in need next door. Like, don't answer your door. <laughs> and so I, I appreciated that at least. But she did tell a funny story about waitressing because, you know, she's been child acting. She's never had a job. You know, like most of us worked at right the supermarket or were a waiter. She's never done those things. But she did like her character in that story. Rigby, if you remember, is a waitress. Yeah. And so she told the director, like, hey, can I go, like, shadow someone and just do some waitressing? And she found out two days. She did it for two days. And she's like, I was fucking awful at it. Of course. It's a hard job. She said it's the hardest thing she's done in her life. Dude, I see waitresses today and I'm still like, I don't know how you do this job. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. This is the hardest job she's ever done. Remember, she was on the rooftop. When she was five years old <laughs> and jumping yeah. off, right? <laughs> she also had to act in movie forty three, so that's a pretty that's a, tough job, from what I yeah. from what I remember. Thank goodness it was just one segment. My goodness. And then the the last project we'll talk about before we get into some final reviews is the Adams Family. She plays Wednesday voice role. She reprised it very recently in the one that's out in theaters right now. I could see a lot of her like dark shadows vibe going into that, but. For those who have seen it, do we like her voice role as Wednesday in the Adams Family universe? I haven't seen it, but I know that my mother went to see it with my sister Laura's children, and she told me she did not enjoy the movie. 
<laughs> Fair. Fair enough. Lark did not enjoy the movie. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> little crossover with Janny here. I didn't enjoy the movie either. One of those few times where maybe it wasn't like an age appropriate because like Wednesday's supposed to be what, 14, 15 in canon? Oh yeah, you're yeah. right. So she's like eight years older. Mm-hmm. So maybe the one time. The good point. And then the last couple, BoJack Horseman, one episode, and then an animated series called Gaslight. She plays Danny in 10 episodes of that. All right, so largest critic gap is Shadow in the Cloud. came out in 2020. Rigby has it, and it is an interesting movie. Yeah. Yeah, so this is streaming on Hulu, so we'll get to that. But Shadow in the Cloud is a 2020 action, horror, science fiction, thriller, comedy, war movie. (laughs) So if that sounds interesting... Keep listening. <laughs> the film takes place during World War II, and Chloe Grace Moretz plays pilot officer Maud Garrett. She actually has a British accent in this movie, which is interesting. But she she is fighting in World War II, and she boards an Ally-led plane traveling from New Zealand to Samoa, and she's carrying this top-secret package. And on the rest of the flight are these chauvinistic men who refuse to even acknowledge her and make her sit in this like cockpit below the main cabin of the plane um it's in the this fighter plane like you'd see in world war ii and as the flight is in the air chaos ensues you know it ranges from it starts with like simple gunfights with like a japanese fighter plane but then it turns into something a lot more sinister like a a gremlin who uh appears to start this almost bizarre twilight zone type subplot not even a subplot it becomes the main plot of the movie i should say but it's 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 something you don't see coming and it makes it really interesting it's an incredibly ambitious movie because there's no like i mentioned in the outset there's no genre that can be assigned to this i don't really know whether to call it like a war movie a feminist movie because her character is very strong in this she has to put up with a bunch of like dickhead guys who just don't really see her they don't really take her seriously in it it could also be a science fiction movie, as I mentioned, because it has like alien extraterrestrial aspect to it. But for some reason, the mixture of those genres in this movie seem to work. It's actually really endearing and kind of tender because you realize, and I'm not going to give it away because it's a new movie and it's streaming and I think people should, I recommend it and I think people should watch it. But there's a, re- there's a, there's a, a hidden subplot to why you realize that she's actually on the plane. She's great in this role. And I think, you know, it's a pretty intense role because most of the movie takes place within like a three by three cockpit where she's literally stuck the whole movie. And you hear most of her dialogue is done in between her, like her on screen and like the men that she's talking to in her headset. But her character comes off as totally believable and sympathetic. And so more power to her there for that. But I would say go check it out. It's on Hulu. And it's a pretty wild ride. It's, it's definitely a, a, a fun sort of not really know what to expect when you get into it. But her performance was great. I really, really enjoyed her. In the- and it's only an hour and 23 minutes. It's short. Yeah. It's very short. Very short. I'll say this. The movie opens with a PS, uh, like a fake PSA cartoon yeah. with like <laughs> World War II soldiers and gremlins. So you kind of know what you're getting into. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. Dude, really, so- really bizarre. I'm so fascinated by this movie. Just looking at the split on Rotten Tomatoes, there's 122 critic reviews. It's got 77% from critics. One, that shocks me because it's yeah. so all over the place. Yeah. And then the audience being 32%, it's a 45% 
difference. Like yeah. audiences, I mean, I understand why audiences might not like this because there's so much going on, but I think that's what makes it fun. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think it was really, I loved this movie. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I really loved it. I loved the whole sci-fi strong feminine protagonist. It was definitely a wild ride. That's definitely a good way to put it. It was uh, fascinating to watch. I didn't know what I was getting into when I when I first started it, but I was like hooked from the moment it started until the end. So I appreciate movies that just kind of lean into like B movie banana land where they're like, no, this is what we're going to be. So just accept it because it makes it fun. And you're like, yeah, let's go on this ride. And the fact that they're able to keep it that confined yet get away with so many different genres like mixed together is so impressive like i was really i was really kind of enthralled by that as a creature flick you see her do some like serious martial arts ass beating at the end too which i was like yes let's go it was like that moment again i don't want to spoil things but it's uh it catches you completely off guard. You're like, oh, shit, girl's got skills. Let's go. Like, I wanted to hate it after 15 minutes. I was like, oh, I'm going to fucking hate this movie. And by the end, you're like, wow, I really like it. And I probably shouldn't. But it's fun. Yeah, I agree. I'm the same way. That's a good one. Yeah, this is, it, was a, it was a fun ride. Fun ride. I love how, like, our reviews, like, we went from lowest critic to highest critic. And now we're going from largest critic gap to largest audience gap. All the way to Tom and Jerry, her most recent movie. And uh, let's see what Case thinks of this audience gap film. Tom and Jerry is a 2021 live-action animated adaptation of the popular 80s and 90s cartoon by the same name. The movie focuses on the hilarious antics and adventures of a cat named Tom and a mouse named Jerry. This is the second attempt by Warner to make a Tom and Jerry theatrical movie. Cast in the movie is really fun with Michael Pena, Colin Jost, Rob Delaney, and several other prolific comedic actors. However, Chloe is clearly the headliner in this movie and the lead role. I won't get into the plot a lot because if I did, I would either sound like an insane person or I would sound like someone who spends my time watching animal torture videos. That being said, this was a really different role for her to play compared to some of the other ones that I've watched. First off, I can't even even imagine how incredibly difficult it would be to play off an imaginary cartoon character which was probably represented by a tennis ball and a stick or something like that. And then also being such a different role for her, it took me a little bit of time to settle into her into this movie. I didn't necessarily appreciate her role in this at the beginning. It was just a little bit off-putting because I've known her most for roles like Kick-Ass or Carrie or any of those other ones that it's just, it's, it's such a divergent here. However, by the end of the movie, I was really enjoying her performance. Albeit, I don't think it was the best performance in the movie. If I had to pick the best performance in the movie, I would pick Jerry, Tom, and then <laughs> Michael Pena. However, Tom does get sympathy points for constant physical and emotional abuse that he endures. <laughs> very thoughtful. Very, very considerate of you, Case. A man for the people. This movie has an audience gap of 82 to 31, which is pretty substantial. Yeah, it's huge. 51. I think a lot of the gap here, you guys, with with critics is that I just don't think they had the patience for this movie to develop. That being said, like myself, I, I was a huge fan of this cartoon growing up. So I enjoyed it, man. I mean, from the word go, when you open up with Jerry beginning to steal Tom's money as a dancing mouse, as Tom is playing a blind piano, 
It's <laughs> then they get into it. It's just great, and so I enjoyed the whole movie in the antics as far as that goes. Interesting about this movie is that this was the first movie we've covered that was an HBO Max and theatrical release that did pretty well considering in the box office. It was a seventy-nine million dollar budget, and it still world grossed one hundred and thirty million. Wow. <laughs> That's good during during a pandemic. Compared to something along the lines of like Adam's family, that world grossed two hundred four million, and so I, I think this movie was was pretty respectable. Every Warner Brothers movie is going on HBO Max instantaneously. I feel like that's to be the, to be kind of the first to to be the test of that. I feel like was a big thing. Yeah, and and just for a children's movie too. To I mean, imagine the bump that would have got for a couple of weeks in the theater. Overall, you know, this is. To me, was a was a very watchable movie. She's got a massive role in this movie. I I don't think it's her best role. I I don't even think it's the best role in the movie. But I do appreciate the difference of role that she took on in this movie, and it was pretty enjoyable to watch in context of her career. I think it's a great point, Case, in the context of her career. All right, so that brings us to the end of Chloe Grace Moretz's filmography. So as we normally do, we dig into some top performances and see what Rigby has dug up for us. Yeah, so I got a list from IMDb, Mr. Deadpool 2016. The reason I chose this list is because it's the only one that I found that actually ranked performances and not movies. And also, it's was uh, it's from three months ago, so it's the most updated. Okay, let's see what Mr. Deadpool has. This is from June of 2021. How many? Five, ten? Ten, ten, sorry. Oh, that's ten. a lot. Only <laughs> films or TV, too? Only films, and it's numerically ranked. So Okay. Oh wow, this dude did a lot of work. All right, good. Thank Laura, you. Why don't you why don't you start us off? What do you got? Our guest our guest of honor here. Just remember, this is best. This is a ranking based off her performances and not the movies. So, which I like. I prefer that. Yep. I would like to say that Suspiria is in there, even yeah, though she had a absolutely. very small role. Yeah, know? Suspiria is actually number three. So nice job, Laura. Oh yeah. All right, I'm going to take the little hanging fruit. Give me kick ass. Yeah, I was going to say number ass. one, Kyle. Nice job. Yes. Absolutely. The miseducation. Cameron's most. Definitely. Number seven. So we're three for three for ten so far. I've got two dark horse cha- chances here. Uh, dark shadows. Uh, no. Let me in. Let me in is number four. Definitely got to be in there. And then Big Mama's House too. <laughs> Hugo. Hugo. Hugo is number two. Nice job. Give me uh, five hundred days of summer. Yeah, number eight. Okay. Equalizer. Equalizer six. Shadow and a clown. Yeah, nice job, Laura. Number nine. Yeah, let's go. Nice. I'm excited yeah. about that. Fifth wave. Nope. Hmm. If I stay. If I stay? Nope. Oh. Uh, give me your neighbors two. Nope. Hick. I am O for nope. like five. <laughs> Adam's family. Oh. Nope. Greta. Greta's number 10. Nice job. Okay. Brain on fire? Nope. Kyle's just reading the list. Dude, I'm 0 for 6, bro. I'm, I got one. I got the kick-ass. I got the easy one. Uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Nope. Oh, uh, Amityville Horror. Nope. Carrie. Holy fuck. Nope. Oh, yeah, Dude, you just got to tell us at this point. Did, <laughs> someone, did someone say let me in? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Oh, so we have one left. I'm sorry. What's All the good. one we're missing? Tell What's us the Clouds of Sills Maria. Oh, yeah. The Criterion movie. Yep. Oh, okay. I told you. It's supposed to be a good one of hers. I forgot that you mentioned Let Me In, James. My bad. Yeah. All right, Rigby, remind our audience, what were the top three again? Top three were Kick-Ass, Hugo, and Suspiria. I'm, I'm game with that. That sounds good. That's a kick-ass look. 
I might take out Suspiria because it's such a small role and put in like Miseducation of Cameron Post yeah. for me personally. Or Let Me In. Yeah, but the top two I have no issue with, with Hugo and, and Kick-Ass. But that's my opinion, not the podcast opinion. Let's talk about the Munson meter. So what we do is we rank every actor on a scale of 0 to 100. Every one of us is going to get a chance to rate Chloe Grace based on a variety of factors that could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their range as an actor, their awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munsons. So with that, this time, I'm up first. Because I never go first. And so I'm going to set the bar here. And I don't know where I'm at comparatively to you all. TBD. I find her really fascinating. I'm, I'm incredibly impressed by the volume of work that she's done as a child actor. And she's not the first child actor we cover. We've covered Dakota. We covered Seth Green. We've covered some others who have done pretty impressive work too. But I don't know if they've done it to this level that what, what Chloe Grace Morenz has done in her career. But as I start to think about like how I would rank her and how I would score her, Pumping out five projects a year, there's a lot to be said there from a longevity standpoint and relevance. I like that she's very outspoken on politics, feminism, not being sexualized on screen for a young actress like she is. That's pretty mature, pretty impressive, and that's her using her platform for good. I've seen a lot of her interviews. I mean, granted, she's 24 years old, but she's a really fun interview. She's pretty down to earth, you can tell, and is probably somebody super pleasant to be around. I mean, good for you shooting your shot with Neymar. That's an awesome fun fact. <laughs> that's awesome. Man. Like, I'm, that's one of the cooler things I've learned on this this episode. Now, as I look at how I score, though, she's not going to get much in the award side. She just hasn't really done much to be worthy of big time awards. Pop culture through the roof. So I'll give her that that for her age. It's through the roof. She's funny. Her personal life's in pretty good shape. The only thing I'm going to knock her on, and this is kind of shitty on my part, but it's kind of a thing I have, and it's just noticeable, is I can tell she's had some work done the last couple of years. Oh, damn. Her appearance, facial appearance is very different. It's not very different, but you can tell she's had some nose work, some lip injections. Personally, I'm not a huge fan when, especially celebrities, change their appearance like that, especially early on in your career, in your 20s. Like, I'd understand if you're, like, in your 50s or 60s, and you're trying to I support it, Chloe. Helen Mirren style. You're trying to stay relevant. Like That's how you pay the big bucks. Get all the work done you want. I'm totally supportive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell I'm not a huge fan of it. Male, female, doesn't matter the gender. So I'll knock a couple there. But overall, looking at her box office, she's done pretty well there. So I'm going to give her a 67. Fair score. Seven more than Gabe Byrne. Case, you're up. This is a tough score for me. I enjoy a lot of her projects. However, told us this is who we were going to be covering for this episode. I, I really couldn't place her outside of one or two different projects. And then the ones that I did know her from, I, I, I wouldn't have considered her a draw from a box office standpoint or, or somebody that people are going to see. You know, and even in the film I reviewed, you know, she wasn't the draw. I mean, it was a cat and a mouse and she was the lead role. <laughs> Damn. Don't hold back. You know, like I'm talking about, her box office numbers are middle of the road. Her longevity is is pretty impressive at such a young age. I love her selection of movies. I think it's really unique, and and it's such an odd, eclectic career. However, it, it does seem like that's impacted her range a little. However, I I do love the fact that a point of a point of emphasis in her career so far has been horror, 
suspense and off the beaten path action films like Kick-Ass. I, I love those things. With all that being said, though, my score is probably going to be a little bit lower than it would be a couple of years from now. And I'm going to give her a 60. Laura, our guest Munson. So I really feel like both of your scores are definitely very accurate. And when I was going into this, I definitely felt the same way. I felt like it would be somewhere in the 60s. And I'm settling on um, on a 64. I feel like she's really impressive so far. And yes, her range is all over the place. Definitely her, you know, she she has proven that she can do children's movies, voiceover work, and she can do horror and she wants to be more in charge of the roles that she does. So she just doesn't want to pump out all of these movies anymore. She wants to sit down, think about it and what message they portray in the future. So I think as she gets older, I think she's going to do really well and i really can't wait to see what else she has in store for us so i'm going with 64 fair very fair james following the good sibling following the maybe better sibling (laughs) it's kind of ironic we had they followed each other in their reviews as well that's very cute it's adorable well i feel bad now because i'm gonna have the lowest score and i like her and it makes me feel bad (laughs) (laughs) you know warren's not here so someone has to take over that mental I'm just hey, you never know. I could pull a wild card and pull out like a 40 one of these days. Yeah, I highly doubt it because Rigby, I can do math and I know that that's just not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think she's been great in horror movies. I think that is her sweet spot. I think she plays really good, creepy characters. And maybe that was because she was just such a mature young kid and seeing a creepy, mature young kid always works in horror movies. I really liked Miseducation of Cameron Post. I thought she did I thought she did really well there. I just think some of these movies, like she's a good actor in a horrific movie. And it is just like one of those things where it's like, uh, do I falter for that on project choice? I don't know, maybe a little. Maybe not at all, because if I was that age, I'd probably be doing the same thing. But yeah, she seems like a really good person based on everything I've read and and I wanted her to be one of those people that you like dunk on for being born into a filthy rich family. But then when you, you find out it's not that at all. And it's like the one thing that she says, like with her chest, probably in the press is like, I don't talk to my dad. Like you don't even have to pretend this is a thing and nothing else like that. That takes a lot of balls. And I appreciate someone like that, but I'm pumped for the future. I hope that she doesn't get pigeonholed into, you know, just being in horror movies. But I do think it is her sweet spot. So I'm intrigued to see where it goes from here. But I give her a 56. Right. Rigby, round us out. I agree with James. I think horror is obviously her sweet spot. Um, But I think she can use that for like the betterment because I think like think of like someone like Natalie Portman or Mila Kunis who starred in something like Black Swan. That movie was like scary and like freaky and weird, but like it was also critically acclaimed. And I think she is like one yep. film role away from like starring in something like that to the point where like she's literally nominated for an Oscar, whether it's supporting actress or best actress. So I think she has found obviously her niche in, in that genre, but I think she can use it because horror movies today are only, I mean, this is like the, they're only getting better and better. Like you with like the, the Bloomhouse production stuff. Like they are, this is like the dawn of like the new mm-hmm. good horror movie films. So I think she's within the top five of people who you would want to cast to star in something like that for sure. 
it's only a matter of if she's comfortable doing that or not, which I don't know if that's the case or not. But obviously she's, she, you know, she started when she was seven years old. Like there's something we said about that. James, you mentioned that she's been the top role in a lot of bad movies, which I would agree with, which, you know, sometimes look like hindsight is 2020. Obviously you don't obviously think that when you're being cast, but sometimes it's just the, the nature of the business. But I think she does get points for, for being real, which James mentioned, her honesty about her family. And also, she's very politically active, I think, for good reasons. So all that being said, I'm going to give her a 69. So with that score, that gives Chloe Grace Moretz a 63.2, which puts her in 36th place between Dakota Fanning and Maya Rudolph. Dude, that's perfect. That's crazy. Two child actors back to back. Yeah. yeah. And Seth Green's only a couple above him, too. He's two spots ahead of Dakota. How good are we? Seriously. Yeah, very interesting. So it's a little bit lower than her box office ranking of 28th. Uh, James, what does she have coming soon? She has a movie called Mother Android completed this year. Don't know when it's coming out. That's actually the sequel to Aronofsky's movie with Jennifer Lawrence, right? <laughs> Mother Rigby, that was incredible delivery, by the way. <laughs> well done and another movie called love is uh love is a gun which is in pre-production love is a gun will be interesting she's playing bonnie parker of bonnie and clyde fame nice oh oh okay we'll buy a pick all right five actors that we're throwing onto the wheel we've got our halloween horror themed episode we do every year coming up next for episode 47 very excited for it what is really cool about this episode, it's dropping on my birthday. So it's going to be a fun birthday guessing game for me when we record in a couple weeks. Pump for that. Ken Watanabe is one of them. So Wait, hold on. That's, that's a cool person to share a birthday with. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's There's the a cool part about this episode is it's your birthday? That's it. That's the only cool part. <laughs> yeah, all right. Something else. We did Danny Trejo a year ago. The other yeah. four actors. We just kept the other four on there and added Doug Jones. So we've got Tony Todd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Bruce Campbell, Nev Campbell, and Doug Jones. So of that list, we've seen most of this before. What do we like? What do we dislike? And we've got our guest is a little bit TBD. I think I've got somebody locked down, so we don't we don't have that intel to run off of of who they would pick. Isn't Doug Jones a former senator from Alabama? <laughs> Man, he's really gained some weight since his acting days. That's all I can gather on that. Uh, I had to look up who Doug Jones is, and the, fir- the first thing that pops up in Google is, has Doug Jones ever played a human? And the dude's <laughs> been in like a hundred movies. <laughs> he's in every- <laughs> He plays like a monster in everything. Think of a monster in a horror film. It's probably Doug Jones. Yeah, dude, it's all him. Like Hellboy, Shape of Water. That's great. Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, yeah, he was. That's who he was. Yeah. I don't want to do him. I hope we don't do him. <laughs> yeah, I am firmly a Bruce Campbell guy. Yeah, I think Bruce Campbell would be awesome. Jamie Lee would be good, too, just because when does the new Halloween come out? Like next week or yeah, the would, 15th or something? Next week. Uh, it, would, it would coincide quite nicely with the release of yeah. Halloween Kills. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool, too. Jamie Lee Curtis is such an interesting performer because you've got Halloween and then you've got like freaky friday and shit like that you know, it's just very different jamie lee is a legend and she is an example of someone who i would say like actually all these actors are examples of something someone i would say like chloe could, should strive to be where it's like 
if you're awesome in horror movies, like you can be a Hollywood legend. Like yeah. these, all these people are legends because of it. I'd love to do Tony Todd because I think that Final Destination, in addition to Candyman, Final Destination is an awesome horror movie, and he's creepy as fuck in that movie. Yeah, it would make for some good, some good spooky season watching for us. Yep. That's really what we're doing. We want, to, we just want to have some spooky season yep. watching. Yep. And Nev Campbell, they they're gonna release the Scream Five trailer at the showings of. The, the latest like the original scream 20 year anniversary oh, here sweet. in like two weeks so that'll that would be good timing for that too what a fascinating career jamie lee curtis and bruce campbell they're part of two franchises that are some of the longest franchises in the history of movies. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the evil dead franchise and the halloween franchise are like yeah five decades long yeah i love the evil dead movies especially the second one the second one's a real month laura what do you got what are you thinking get a pick i would love to hear you guys do bruce campbell yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun for Halloween. Yeah, and definitely for spooky season. And mm-hmm. he's done some really, really cool stuff. Yeah, we're big. <laughs> we I mean, I named my dog Ash. Yeah, after, <laughs> that is after the mm, character in Evil Dead. It's a great character. <laughs> Regardless, you know, we don't decide. Guests don't decide. Laura doesn't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see where it goes. Sometimes the wheel decides. Laura, it's been phenomenal. Thanks for hanging yeah. with us through this. Any, again, hot one style cameras, but not really any plugs, words of wisdom for our audience. This is your time to shine. Oh, no, I just want to say thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that I was able to come on here. It's really fascinating to really get with people who are like minded as myself and love, love film and, and everything as much as I do. So this was a lot of fun. I would love to come on again sometime. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Love to have you. No, you were great. This was fantastic. This was a lot of fun. Like I smiled and laughed a ton during this episode. Yeah, dude. uh, Doing it with the video on is substantially harder for me because I love having conversations with people and I can't stop talking over you guys. And I apologize. (laughs) I I think it's so much better. I agree. I agree. I like having the cameras on. It's nice to be able to see you, man. Yeah. Laura, it was awesome having you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Yep. You were awesome, Laura. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. Well, as always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on the IG, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Chloe Grace Moretz? You're weird. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?